Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, Pastor Tyler here. Yes, it's me, cleanly shaven, is still the same guy. Uh, kind of shocked my wife today when I decided to take the beard off. I just felt like it was time. Ten months I've had it. It's kind of connected to COVID because uh, when COVID started, I started growing my beard. So I was like, I'm over it. I'm over COVID. I'm over my beard. And so hopefully uh, I don't have a Samson strength with my beard. Hopefully my unction, my anointing wasn't connected to my beard. We're going to find out. Does that sound good? All right. Uh, we're in a series titled Knowing God, Knowing God. If you're at home, just say Knowing God. I want to read you a verse real quick. Actually, two verses. And these two verses Uh, You can find this rhythm throughout the Bible. I just love it when uh, you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you start to see the things that are really important to God. One of the things that's really important to God is just knowing him, knowing his will, knowing his purpose, knowing his goodness, knowing his nature. So here's one, Isaiah 5.13. Therefore my people go into exile, uh, therefore my people go into exile for a lack of knowledge. Not a lack of talent, not a lack of power, not a lack of money. The reason why they're going to exile is a lack of knowledge. It says, what happens with that lack of knowledge? Their honored men go hungry and their multitudes are parched with thirst. You read Isaiah 5, it's a picture of the Israelites. They die of hunger and thirst because they don't know God. Can you think about that real quick? Right now in the world, what are they dying of? They're not dying because we don't have enough talent. They're not dying because we don't have enough power. They're not dying because we don't have enough money. The U.S. is going this way because they don't know God. Oh, Isaiah 5 is a spiritual picture of what happens to people when they don't know God. They go hungry and they go thirsty. Uh, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, not because it's a warm and fuzzy one, but it's one of those stop sign verses in my life. Stop. Are you sure? Do you know God's will for your life in this moment? Do you ever wish that you could go back in time and talk to your old self? Like sometimes I wish I could go back in time it's my very first sermon I ever preached in my whole life to our youth ministry. It's called One Life, One Chance. And I, I titled, uh, the subtitle was, I wish I would have known. And I always wish I would have known, but this one's a little different. I wish I could have gone to my seventh grade Tyler self and sat him down and he would have saw me at 38 and said, dang, I'm looking good at 38. Well, stop it, seventh grade Tyler. He's like, no, you're looking good. Like, oh, stop it. Uh, he'd, probably, he'd probably be surprised by how good he looked at 38, maybe. He'd be like, hey, what happened to your hair a little bit? Why are you so gray? I don't want to talk about it, little Tyler. It's just, it is what it is. We're going to get gray real early. Bear with it. But if I could go back in time and talk to Tyler at seventh grade, I would tell him, man, don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Seventh grade was my least favorite year of school ever in my life. Oh, it was my least favorite year. I was a late bloomer in puberty. Everybody else was going through puberty and I was still, hey, my name is Tyler. I had all this baby fat on me. I was really short and I thought girls liked me. I got rejected by girls more in seventh grade than any other time in my life. Oh, it just affected my, my, my emotions. I wish I could just go back to seventh grade time and say, hey man, you don't gotta be a 10 for everybody. You just gotta be 10 for somebody. And that 10 is Rachel Shunk. She's gonna become Rachel Johnson. Don't even worry about these girls. They, they're nothing. They're nothing. Don't even worry about them. I feel like I would have lived differently when I was in seventh grade. I wish I could go back to myself when I was in my early 20s starting youth ministry. Oh, I wish I could go back and just say, Tyler, time out. You're trying to build a crowd. I wasted my first two years trying to build a crowd Oh, just so, many, so much effort trying to build this amazing looking crowd. And I remember by year three learning, oh, I've wasted two years. I'm not supposed to build a crowd. I'm supposed to build people. Something we say at our church is we don't build a crowd here. We build the core. That's disciples. We build community. And then the crowd benefits from it. Oh, I wish I could go back in ministry and say that. Oh, so many things. I wish I could go back to my, my uh, early 25-year-old self and say, Tyler, you got to learn how to forgive. Stop it. You're, you're losing years. You're losing joy. Go back. Stop. Love, uh, love quickly and forgive quickly. I wish. 
I'm gonna tell you my book series uh, that I'm never gonna write, but I thought I was gonna write, so you can have it. But something I wanted to write as a book series was Things I Wish I Would've Known. I think it'd be a great selling book. Uh, Things I Wish I Would've Known about my first 10 years of marriage. Rachel and I will be married nine years, so I can't even write it yet. But man, I, what a book that people would wanna grab about the, ooh, things I wish I would've known. Things I wish I would've known about people. Oh, I wish I would've known hurting people hurt people. I wish I would've known I'm not supposed to trust everybody. I wish I would've known that not everybody's supposed to be in inner circle. I wish I would've known I still need to be vulnerable with people though. Oh, things I wish I would've known about ministry. I just wanna write all those books. Things I wish I would've known. Things I wish I would've known. So if you wanna write those series, just give me a little bit, a little bit, like, like give me the first book after you write it. Does that sound good? Now, reason why I go off on this is the most important thing that I wish I would have known in all of my life, I wish I could go back to my early Christian days. And I wish I would have told myself at 18, and this is the biggest thing ever, I just wish I would have told myself at 18, Tyler, God's not only a great king, he's a good, good father. He's a great father. Oh, he's kind, he's merciful, don't be afraid of him. When you mess up, run straight to him. Oh, when you're stressed out, oh, run right to him. When you can't carry something that's too heavy, give it to him. It took me till I was 30 years old to realize how good God was. And you know when I realized it? It was the first year that I had this fire in me to read my Bible like I've never read it before. I started reading 10 to 15 chapters a day. I read through my Bible almost four times in one year. And I remember I was the third time through my Bible that year. And I was just waking up super early, reading for hours. And it was this moment, I was just reading Genesis through Revelation. And I just started bawling my head off. I mean, just weeping. And I started to see this, this God that wasn't just this mighty Cosmo King, but just this really good dad. And I just started bringing everything I've never brought to him before at age 30. And I was like, oh, you're such a good father. Oh, you're my, you're my father. And the only way I found that out was, was getting in his word. And now here's the whole purpose of this series. I love giving the heartbeat of it. Some of you don't know he's a good father. If there's one thing, if I could go into your life and say the sooner you learn this, the better your walk will be Jesus, is that he's a good father that if you actually operated like God was your father, night, night. We're gonna read in John 5 today, and he's gonna to refer to himself. I only do what the father tells me to do. We the same person. You see me, you see the father. Jesus comes to earth to show us a great picture of who God is. And that's why I love the book of John. That's why we're doing Knowing God. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you're a God who knows our tomorrows, our future, our worries. You know our worst parts. Uh, and Lord, you still love us. God, you still have a plan for us. You know how to redeem us. And so God, right now I pray in this message, uh, John 5, uh, th that we learn about really not only who you are, but we learn about whose we are. God, I pray my words would fall to the floor and your words would soar. Oh, we need you. We need you this Sunday. And everybody said, amen, amen. I don't know about you, but I am already thinking about what I'm gonna eat after the fast. What you thinking about? If, you, if you've been on the fast and you're thinking about eating something, I want you to write in the chat real quick. Right now I'm just writing pizza, 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 pizza. I'm the little Caesars guy right now. Pizza, pizza. That's all I want is pizza. Maybe you're a burger person, burger. If you write tofu in this chat on this day, we will block you, we will cut you out. You'll be blocked from the Mission Church channel. Don't write tofu. What you gonna write? Write it real quick, I'm gonna give you two seconds. I wanna see what everybody's writing. Okay, okay, yeah. Show me some burgers on there, show me some fries. Woo, 21 days of prayer and fasting, it was powerful. We're believing for a building, we're believing for a venue, we're believing for breakthrough in the Bay Area. We just don't say no to say no to things, we're saying yes to God's will and his kingdom coming. Does that sound good, Mission Church? All right, let's get to the message. John 5, John 5. So John 5 uh, is this amazing story about uh, Jesus going to this man who has been crippled for 38 years. And as I read through it, the title I got from a message, I'm gonna pop it up here real quick. This is the title of my talk. Save me from me. Ooh, that's gonna make a lot of sense in just a second. Save me from me. Let me ask you a question before we even get into John 5. 
What makes Christians different from the world? Let me say it another way. What makes Christians different from religious people? Because let's just be real quick. Religious people, they repent of sin. Christians, they repent of sin. The world right now is just calling everybody to repent. They don't say it's sin. It's just called cancel culture. You shouldn't have done this. Say you're sorry and come back to the, what we're, uh, the kingdom of self because we have a bar for you. Everybody's repenting of something. Woof. Here's what makes Christians different from religious people in the world. You ready? We don't only repent of sin. We repent of self-righteousness. And you're gonna see that in John 5. John 5 is a picture that once you realize that you are the biggest thing in the way of you, your life's gonna be different. The world thinks that they can cancel everything, the world's gonna be fine. No, 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 you would have to cancel yourself. The cancel culture, the more and more it goes, it will cancel everybody out because nobody can actually match the bar of what our soul really desires and his perfection in his name is Jesus. Religious people, they want everybody to repent. You repent, hey, you sin, get up here and repent in front of everybody. They love making people repent. But never do they say, you know what the problem is? It's not us repenting of sin, it's our self-righteousness. We'll never match that bar, we need Jesus. And that's what's different with Christianity. Christianity's had this epiphany, this revelation. Oh, it's that moment where you say, save me from me, God. Save me from my flesh. Save me from my selfishness. Save me from my grossness. Save me from my pride. Save me from thinking I can actually fix myself. That's the difference in Christianity. And that's what we're gonna see in John 5. If you have a Bible turn there, John 5, we're going to NIV. Again, I don't know what happened, but I became an NIV man the last six months, and I'm liking it. I still have an NLT I read every morning, but then I go online, and I read NIV. It's a long story. It is what it is. Let's read. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is a, in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, or Bethsaida, or Beth, uh, uh, Bethesda. Bethesda, Bethesda. I literally uh, checked it all out. Bethesda is the best one, but I like all of them. So Bethesda, and, and which is surrounded by five color colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie down. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Stop. So let's just look at this chapter. Let's paint the picture real quick. Let's just not read past it. There is a pool, Bethesda. There is five colonnades. It's chapter five. Um, do you know the uh, number for grace is five? Oh, I think God's showing us something in this picture. There's a lot of grace surrounding all this sickness. Okay, let's, let's keep going. So you got all these sick people around a pool. All these lame, disabled people that have no hope except a pool that thinks they can heal them. Why do they have hope in this pool? Let me give you some context. This pool, uh, they believed that when the waters moved, that the first one in the pool would be healed. They thought an angel would come down and move the water. It was probably something under the water. It was maybe wind, but whatever moved the water. They had this legend. Uh, culture told them that an angel would come down, shake the water. First one in the pool would be healed. It would draw a crowd of the broken people to be healed by this pool. Can I submit to you that every season culture has a fake pool for you? Every culture has a, a pool. Oh, if you just get into here, if you're the first into this, if you're the best in this career, if you're the first in sports, if you're the most famous, you think fame is just an, uh, uh, um, an accident in our culture? No, people want to be first to the pool. They want to be the most famous. You think people like promotions just like promotion? No, they want to be first to the pool. The first picture you got to get is that all of us are actually the lame, the disabled, and the broken. We're, we're, we're that part of it. In this story, just so you know, let me, let me read you who you are in this story, just, just so you can identify real quick. You are the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. You're not anybody else. You're not the people outside of the, the, uh, the pool. That's all of you. That's me. I, I may be offending you. We'll buckle up. I'm going to double down. Does that sound good? Let's keep going. 
So that's all of us. And then there's this beauty, and it's called grace, and his name is Jesus, and he enters the story. Um, first point of my save me from me is this. You ready? First point is save me from my view of how impressive I am. Save me from the view of how impressive I am. Can I just tell you there's only one goat? It's not Tom Brady, even though I'm rooting for him in the Super Bowl. Sorry, Josh Harper, children's pastor, huge Chiefs fan. I'm sorry, Tom Brady, 43. How do I not root for him? Everybody's like, he's the goat. Michael Jordan, goat. Get those, nobody's, there's only one goat, the greatest of all time, his name is Jesus. There's only one impressive person ever live on the planet, his name is Jesus. There's only one great savior and his name is Jesus. But something happens in our culture where we actually kind of get impressed with ourselves, And it's performance culture. Um, I'll just be honest. I, I grew taller, I was 6'4 in ninth grade. And so eventually girls actually liked me. Some did, not all, but some liked me, okay? And I found a certain type of girl I was attracted to. I remember I never liked the girl who was so impressed with herself. You know, the hot girl that was hot in seventh grade, so she thought she was the hottest thing on the planet. If I'm hot in seventh grade, she's hot in senior year. She thought she was the prettiest girl ever. And she put off those vibes. And I just thought that was the grossest thing ever. A girl who was just so impressed with how pretty she was. I liked the girls who didn't know how beautiful they were. Yeah, you could even say um, One Direction, uh, the great poet said it. That's what makes you beautiful, oh, 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 oh. That's what makes you beautiful. That's what I liked. A girl when she didn't even know how pretty she was, like, oh, you don't even know how gorgeous you are, girl. Those are the ones I was attracted to. And again, can I tell you something real quick? Can I give you a correlation real quick? That's God in the Bible. It says that he is grossed out by pride. He opposes the ones that are impressed with themselves, but he's drawn to the ones that are humble and understand that they need to be saved. I'm going to double down on this story. This picture is just simply this, trying to show you and I that we're ugly, that our souls are ugly. And here's what I mean by that. Imagine the 10 ugliest people ever to live. Tyler, where are you going with this? Don't tune out. Bear with me, okay? Just picture the 10 ugliest people ever. Now again, ugly is uh, you know, subjective, but just the 10 ugliest people, if it was voted on, the 10 ugliest people, and they lived in this room for 10 years. And they didn't know anything about society outside of here. This, was their all, this is all they knew. All they knew was these 10 ugly people, and this is where they lived. Eventually, out of those 10 ugly people, one would start to think they're the hottest one in the room. One would be like, ooh, hey, I'm not as ugly as Jim over there. Have you seen Jim? Holy cow. Uh, you think Jim's ugly. Look at Sally. Sally's even uglier. Woo, this is one ugly room, but I am looking good. I am, I'm way, way prettier than them. Now imagine one day the door opens and the most beautiful person on the planet walks through the door. They would all feel a little less pretty. Can I agree? Jesus is the most beautiful soul spirit ever to walk the earth. Can I just tell you real quick? Our spirits are the ugliest of the ugliest. Ugly motives, ugly responses, uh, ugly tactics. Oh, ugly, we love, we even love ugly. We love to get. We, we, we love with our ugly motives and better get with our ugly motives. It is, we is, we are, we is, we is, we is so ugly. And then beauty comes on the scene and says, guess what? You didn't know about this kind of beauty. I'm offering this to all of you, it's called grace. I can, I can restore the ugliness. That's what the beginning of John 5 just shows. Can I just say, I really wanted to set the stage real quick. If you're impressed with your religion, you think you're a really good Christian, oh, you're so ugly. If you think you're a great parent, you're so ugly. If you think you're just the best businessman and leader, you're so ugly. There's only one that's beautiful and his name's Jesus. But he actually gives us an opportunity to say yes to his beauty and have that beauty live in us and transform us. Don't be impressed with your beauty. 
Oh, you just haven't been around enough pretty people yet. Your circle's pretty ugly probably. So you think you're pretty good. Is this making sense? Let's keep going. So again, let me repeat the point to you so you don't leave. Save me from how impressed I am with myself. Uh, I, I just, man, there's something about being a pastor and waking up and still feeling like the lame man in the sense of, Lord, I can't move without you. Man, I never feel like I can get myself from here to there without my, my king. Oh, that's important, Christian. Let's keep going. One was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition, stop. So this is an amazing picture. A ton of people. And again, this just shows us grace. He could have picked anybody. Do you know he could have saved anybody, but he saved you? You know, he could have wakened up anybody, waked up to you? Do you know he could have opened up anybody's eyes, but he opened your eyes up? This is an amazing picture. So Jesus scans the thing. He's not asking questions. What's your, what's your sickness? What's your sickness? What's your sickness? Understanding the Greek word is, he already knows, he's omniscient. Understanding, okay, with his omniscient knowledge, he knew a man that had been there for 38 years. Why is it that Jesus picked an invalid man that had been there for 38 years? One who, somebody who had one of the worst sicknesses, couldn't move, and one of the longest sicknesses. Basically, he picked the biggest loser. Why would he pick the biggest loser? You ever uh, seen those movies or uh, heard the illustration? If you ever go to prison, you, uh, the first day in the playground, you go pick out the biggest bully and you knock him out. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe even in school illustrations, like, all right, you go to a new school, there's a new bully, you find the biggest guy and you suck him in the face and you let him know there's a new, new big dog in town. Well, this is what I believe Jesus is doing. The world, as beautiful as you think it is, it's a prison. It's a prison of performance. It's a prison of sickness. It's just a prison. And Thessalonians, their verses actually that give us the picture of a prison of Jesus coming and setting the captives free from a prison. The world is the prison and heaven is where his freedom is found. So Jesus comes to this prison called earth and he's basically given us kind of a prelude to the cross, but he picks the biggest bully at Bethesda. He goes, What's the biggest bully of sickness? I'm, I'm about to bully sickness. You think sickness is the big champ? Ooh, there's a, new, there's a new bully on the block and his name's Jesus. And he bullies the right things. So he walks up to this sickness and he picks out this guy and he's gonna show sickness now who is boss. Because up to this moment, sickness was a finality. Sickness was a period. Period, 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 exclamation point. You can't move it, it's over. And Jesus erases the period and says, I can heal sickness. Culture wants to help you. The law can help you, but only Jesus can heal you. Let me say it again. Oh, we love the law, you religious people. You love the law. We're going to see it. Oh, the law. The law can help you. Oh, culture. Oh, you're looking for help. The number one uh, book sales always every year is self-help books. Oh my goodness, self-help books. Daytime TV, you want to know why? Because we're looking for help. Stop looking for help and start looking for a healer. I don't think it's an accident that the great physician went to the sick people. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that Mission Church should go to the sick people. I hate it that people are fleeing California right now. California is sick right now. It's sick. We're not supposed to flee Bethesda. We're supposed to go straight to Bethesda. Oh, because God sent us the Holy Spirit and we can do what he did. Let's keep going. So Jesus is about to knock this, uh, uh, this sickness out. And I love, I love even what Paul says in Corinthians real quick. Can I just, can I hop around a little bit today? I love what Paul says. It's like Paul was in the prison yard with Jesus. Because after sickness, you know, the cross, he, he conquers death. And it's like Paul talking trash uh, on the playground. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus just knocked you out. Death used to be final, but now there is eternity to heaven. I just love that verbiage. Sometimes when you're driving around, just say to death, yo, death, where is your sting? Sin, you're done. 
Sin, you're gone. Oh, you gotta remind yourself sometimes that those things have been defeated and everything else is now your inheritance. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you wanna get well? Do you wanna get well? Turn to somebody you're with and ask them, do you wanna get well? Ask yourself real quick, do I wanna get well? Do I want to get well? Now, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, I got saved in my late teen years, 16 to 18 was really like my salvation time. But I've been in church for 22 years. You know what's crazy to me? Not everybody who comes to church wants to get well. People can be in church for 20 years and they don't get any better. You would think that they're here in the room and you think they would change. But the problem is, is this question Jesus is asking, uh, the man laying there is, he's saying, do you want to stay ugly or do you want to be transformed into beauty? Do you want the responsibility of what it means to be healed and restored? Do you want that response? Do you, do you want to get well? Because right now, this invalid man, you don't have to take care of himself. You have somebody else take care of him. He can be a victim. He can process a victim mentality. He has every excuse in the world right now because he can't do anything. But Jesus is saying, do you, do you want to get well? Do you want to have a different life where you'll be responsible for your life? You'll be responsible because now you'll know that you know. Let me, let me say it this way. There's a lot of people that come to church. They want their circumstance changed, but they don't want their character changed. Another one, let me put it this way. Uh, there are a lot of people who come to church, they want their hardship changed, but they don't want their heart changed. Lord, I, I, I'm here. Change my hardship. Don't mess with my heart. I love how angry I get at people, but change my hardship. Lord, change my circumstance. Oh, but, but, don't, but don't change my character. I got terrible character, God. Don't change my character. I just want to change my circumstance. And Jesus said, I'm not going to change just your circumstance. I'm not just going to change your hardship. I want to change your heart. I want to change your character. I want to change everything about you. And that's the thing, Christianity, I, want to, I don't ever want to fool you if you're brand new to Christianity. Jesus isn't trying to change your bank account. He's not trying to change your job, uh, your job profile. He's trying to change your heart because it's ugly as all get out and it needs grace to become beautiful. So let me ask you again, Christian, do you want to get well? Oh, if you want to get well, Christian, I want to see a bunch of hundreds in the YouTube. Give me some thumbs up. Give me some yeses. Let me know right now. Man, we have a church that wants to get well, that we want Jesus to heal what he can only heal. We want Jesus to restore what he can only restore. We don't want our circumstance changes. We want our character changed. We don't want our hardships changed. We want our hearts changed. That's the kind of church we're going to be. Come on. So the second point is simply this. Save me from my excuses. So first one is save me from how impressive I am. Uh, second point is save me from my excuses. And here's what happens. You would think this guy, do you want to get well? Would somebody say this? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, 100, 100, uh, duh. You think he'd just give a big old yes. Here's what he says. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. Whether the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Nobody's helping me, and then people are cutting me. That's what's happening. You know, so God, do you want to get well? You don't understand my story. You ever ask somebody, hey, you want to be restored? You don't get my story, though. Oh, you don't get what my parents did to me when I was a young kid. I know I'm going to get well one day, but I still just want to talk about what people are doing to me. Oh, can I, uh, you, do I want to get well? I, you don't understand what's happened to me at church. Oh, I was, I was hurt by pastors. I want to get well one day at church, but you don't know what my story is. You don't know what happened to me in my marriage. You don't know. I decided, and God's like, this is God's response to you just giving excuses. Are you ready? The, 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 the all kind God, you know, sometimes, Parents can be enabling. And sometimes they've got to say to their kids, stop it. Snag it off. Here's God's response to this man's excuses. Get up. That's it. Get up and pick up your mat. Here they go, well, 
Point to me the people who are cutting you and me being the all-powerful God, I'll go, and they're done. I'll just, I'll just rapture them and they'll be out of the way. You know what? I'll get rid of all these people. I'm gonna get rid of all these people. Isn't it funny right now what we're doing in culture? The, the, the broken pool is full of broken people. Instead of healing themselves, they're just trying to get rid of everybody who's cutting them and doing the wrong. Just get rid of everybody. Get rid of everybody. That's not what Jesus does. We're always gonna have hardships, but if you have the right heart, you're gonna be just fine. We're always gonna have tough circumstances. Woo, but if you have the right character, you're gonna be just fine. Jesus doesn't even placate to the excuses. Can I just tell you real quick? There is not one time in the Bible, not once. I dare you to find one, you can't. I was trying to find it all week where the Lord has the uh, disciples say an excuse to him and go, that's a great point. You're right, great excuse. All right, tip my cap. I never see once an ax when they're moving the church. And one of the tips from the church is, you know what, things are going really hard in your life, get a great excuse. Here's what I see in the Bible, get up. You got knocked down by the world, get up. You knocked yourself down because of your bad decisions, get up. Oh, you, you got knocked down because somebody betrayed you, get on up, because the Holy Spirit's not done with your life. Come on, some of you need to get back up. Some of you need to start dreaming again. Some of you have been down for way too long with these silly excuses, and don't get me wrong, some of our big ones, oh, you've been hurt, you've been ruined by this world, and the Bible's saying to you, get up, get up and pick up your mat. Oh, some of you need to get up today. Oh, some of you have lost so many years saying the same story about the same broken marriage that happened, the same thing that happened to you as a kid, the same betrayal that happened to work, the same wound that happened at church. Oh, Jesus don't got time for that. Here's why, because if you live in excuses, it's over. He's gonna heal those wounds. Oh, he wants to heal them. He wants to take them away from you, but he's not gonna placate your excuses. He'll never play. You bring your wounds to him like David did, he'll heal them. Third point, save me from my excuses. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now, Jesus, I felt like was in a fighting mood this day. Okay, so now he goes, he goes, okay. Guys up, pick up your mat and walk. You read this at first glance. You don't know the cultural context, maybe. You don't know the religious laws of this time. Jesus is telling this man, hey, get up. Man gets up, oh my gosh, I'm not an invalid anymore, I'm healed. Pick up your mat and walk. Jesus just said, hey, the 600 Pharisees, all the religious people, you grab your mat. If you pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath day, which he's healed on, you are committing a crime that is uh, uh, punishable by death. You should be killed for picking up your mat. So Jesus said, okay, first bully, sickness, pow. Okay, that's my right hand. I'm gonna use my left hand on this one. <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna take my left hand. I'm gonna knock out some religion, okay? So now I wanna I want ruffle some feathers with the religious people because the two bullies that were holding men down with sickness and religion this time, you could put it this way. So he says, pick up your mat. I want you to walk around with it. Go walk around with it, invalid. So then the invalid's just like, just walking around, you know? And again, this man knows that if a Pharisee sees him, kill him. He broke our Sabbath law. He broke it. Kill him. Here's what happens. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry a mat. Stop. A guy had just been healed for 38 years and their first response is, is why are you carrying that mat? Uh, well, hey, hold, hold on a second. Uh, I know you hadn't walked in 38 years. Uh, I know you're the biggest loser and now you're walking around, you look great. But I don't, I don't give a, a turd about that because I'm a Pharisee. What's up with that mat? 10 people can be saved on Sunday. 
And a religious Pharisee will say this, you know, that first song wasn't very biblical. You know, somebody, 15 people can get saved. And the Pharisee will be like, you know what? I don't like the way they exegeted scripture. There's only, there weren't enough verses in the, in, the, in the sermon today. If you're somebody and people are getting saved around you and you walk away more irked because something wasn't done perfectly for you biblically than somebody being healed from death to life, you may be a Pharisee. If you're more obsessed with the mats in the church than you are with the healings, you may be a Pharisee. If your eyes are on those things, I got a church for you, I'll recommend it. Or I can pray it out of you, whichever one you want. Let's keep going. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry a mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He's like, hey, Pharisees, you've been around me my whole life. You ain't never helped me once. You ain't never done anything good for me. But that man healed me, so I was like, all right, if you want me to risk my life, I risk my life. So he said, I'm gonna, the man who healed me told me to carry it. Goes on to say, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up your, uh, uh, pick it up and walk? <laughs> the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again, so stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Stop. That verse always bothered me when I used to not study scripture, where Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, stop sinning or something worse may happen. I'm like, whoo, what's that mean, Lord? Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I healed you physically, but stop sinning, get saved. You think sickness is bad, hell's way worse. That's all that means. Stop sinning or something worse can happen. The worst that could happen is hell. Human sickness is nothing compared to eternity in hell. He's telling them to get right with the Lord. That's all that phrase means. We don't understand all the phrases in the New Testament. That's all that phrase means. Hey, you think sickness is bad? Hell's way worse. And he walks away from the man to have him process his salvation. I want to conclude my message with two questions. Why was the Sabbath such a big deal to the Pharisees? Why was it such a big deal? The Sabbath was one simple statement, basically. It said, it's not supposed to be um, the same as the other six days. It was supposed to be different. It was supposed to be about rest. It was supposed to be about honoring a day, setting it apart for the Lord. That's all it was supposed to be. One rule, one thing, and it really it was to protect us. We're built to rest. We're supposed to rest. And so here's what the Pharisees did. They added 39 rules on top of that one rule. And one of those rules was you can't carry a burden, aka you can't carry that mat. That would be, uh, so 39 laws. 39 they added. I don't know about you, but 39 rules is exhausting on Sabbath day to learn and remember. Like, you want, okay, you want me to be arrested? But I, okay, well, what was 37 again? Oh, I'm mentally so tired today. There's so many. It, it made no sense. Why would they add 39 laws? Why? I believe I have the answer for you today. I believe this also. I believe that Christ healed this man on the Sabbath so the law would get no credit. I think Jesus said, I'm picking the Sabbath because everybody thinks the law is what heals. I'll show them that I heal. And one of my favorite illustrations to show you what the law is and who Jesus is, the law is just the MRI. It's going to the doctor, boop, shows the sickness. It don't heal the sickness. Some people just get obsessed with finding the sickness. Man, don't get obsessed with finding the sickness. Oh, get focused on the one who heals sickness. So the MRI shows you the sickness, but then the, the healer is the great physician. He's the one that actually, oh, the law shows us where we need to be healed, but then Jesus actually is the one that heals us. Oh, it's an amazing thing. She doesn't want the law to get no credit. Now, my second question, and they're going to tie in. So I'm concluding. So first one is, why 39 laws for Sabbath? Why do they keep adding so many? My second question is, is 
Why is culture all about canceling everybody right now? What is up with cancel culture? Abraham Lincoln just got took out. They got Abraham. They got President Abraham. Abraham Lincoln, which I think is the greatest president ever lived. San Francisco decided, not good enough, canceled Abraham. Abraham Lincoln, you're out. AKA, he was out of the pool of the broken people. You know what? He's also a bad one. Another reason why, we're, reason why we're struggling, why I'm still not where I'm at, is because these people are still in our area. They're in our vicinity. Cancel Abraham, get him out of here. What's the Sabbath all about? It's about rest. It's about rest. I, uh, um, I have been a good sleeper. I've been a great sleeper this last season of my life. Number of reasons is what it is. Something, you know, you, you start studying when you're not sleeping that well. You find out it's not the length of time. Now, length of time is important, but it's actually the type of rest you get. And the type of sleep that doctors will tell you need, it's called REM sleeping, rapid eye movements. It's just deep sleep. It's real rest where your whole body is just really resting. You're building antibodies at this moment. Your body's literally being healed in this rest. It literally is restoring your rest. It's an amazing thing. Another thing I found about sleep, if you actually don't sleep, you go crazy. You go nuts. So, so, so if I could just correlate this to our spirit and our soul, because that's really what this is about, is some of you Christians, if I could just be honest, you got really big bags under your soul right now. Your soul is not rested. The world is going so crazy because it's not rested. Here's why the Pharisees added 39 laws. The Sabbath was the route to rest. And so you start Sabbathing. But the route to rest on the Sabbath was not just to not do something. It was not to do something and then reflect on who did everything. His name was Jesus. It wasn't about not doing something. Sabbath was about all about figuring out who did everything. And his name was Jesus. Sabbath was about stopping and reflecting on the one that created the heavens and the earth. So the Pharisees, oh, well, you didn't do anything today. I don't feel rested. Add another law. I still don't feel rested. Add another law. Still don't feel rested. I don't add another law. Uh, I, still, I still feel anxious. Add 12, 12 more laws. Okay, 39. I'm still not rested. There are not enough laws in the Bible for you to find rest. There are not enough things that you can cancel out in your life for you to find rest. So where do you find rest? Let me read you a verse and we're gonna close with this thought. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is a patient God. You'll never find him really that patient or ever patient when he's doing an altar call. He doesn't go, all right, take your time. If you're weary, you're burdened. You're, you're, okay, uh, man who's you know, sick laying down the invalid right here in John 5, I get it. Take your time, process it, think about it. No, it's, it's never a wait, it's always a come. So it's this invitation, it's this urgency. Come to me who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle, learn from me. Hey, get to know me, knowing God series. Are you seeing the correlation here? You're welcome, let's keep going. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Not rest, just any rest, but rest for your souls. Oh, oh our souls need rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, uh, in December, I had like a little health thing, I'm fine. It's just I have like a weird allergy thing for my esophagus. I'm 100% fine, but I didn't know what it was. So I was sick and it was driving me nuts. I, my, my throat was burning. I had to go get an esophageal procedure. I had to go down there and check it out and everything. I and, uh, wasn't sleeping that well. Um, just a ton of other little things on the plate. And I think the real litmus test 
of a believer is when your head hits the pillow and you're laying there, what are you thinking about? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your soul? And I would just wake up thinking of something. I'd wake up thinking of something. I'd wake up thinking of something. And so I'm preparing this message this week. And about four days ago, this hit me. And I said, I'm changing my nighttime routine. Here's what I'm going to do every time before I go to bed. I'm going to come to God and say, God, I give you everything. I give you this worry, this worry. I give you this success. I give you uh, finances. I give you my budget. Lord, I give you everything. I empty my pockets out. I come to my, my, my God, my Savior. I'm like, all right, I'm coming to you. And I'm giving him everything I got. And... I gotta be honest, the last four nights have been my best night's sleep I've had in I don't know how long. Now, I'm not trying to give you some weird little formula. I'll say this prayer and you'll sleep like a baby. That's not what I'm saying. That's, that's what God had to deal with in my life. That's where I've been anxious. And I've been on the journey for months. Oh, but I do, if I don't, if I don't believe that Jesus actually is the answer, then what is the answer? Jesus is the answer for my soul. He's the answer for your rest. He's the answer for your brokenness. Oh, if you're brand new to church, I wanna give you a question real quick. If you're the person that just felt like, oh, I just never got my break. I've always felt like I'm just in the back of the line. Salvation says he takes the last and makes them first. He takes the tail and makes them the head. He takes victims and makes them victors. If you wanna say yes to Jesus today. Oh, if you wanna say yes to Jesus. Oh, you wanna say yes to this grace. Oh, you wanna say yes, I want a beautiful life. That's you. I want you to tell somebody you're with right now, I say yes. Bible is very clear. Those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart uh, that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. Uh, if, if you don't have anybody with you, write in the chats. I said yes, and we'll celebrate with you. We'll have a pastor follow up on the website. We have uh, somewhere he said, I said yes, just say yes today. Church, oh, this, this Monday when you wake up, here's the deal, you gotta understand something. Without Jesus, you're ugly. Without Jesus, you're helpless. This whole story in John 5 is simply this, Christ's power and our helplessness. Well, I want Christ's power this week. Choose Christ's power. I love you, Mission Church. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.